The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 172 for Monday, October 13th, 2008. Greetings and welcome to the Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm here with John Braun. Hi, John. Hi. Pilot Pete's sitting next to us. How you doing, John? Hi, Pete. Pete he can speak. Oh, oh there you go. Hi, guys. I'd, I'd close the mic. I, you know, I try to, try to keep things. I'll keep my mouth shut. You can uh, keep the right. mic open. I'll keep, try not to get too much room noise going here. Greetings, folks. Uh, so we uh, have a relatively normal show here today, which I just have a feeling is not going to be normal at all. But the agenda looks good. So, uh, yeah, I guess. You know what? I want to have a party. Now, now, no, but you can't make it. But but I thought I'd mention if if, if anybody's going to be in the tri-state area now, if, if you're going to be in, well, you probably know where I live or thereabouts. If you're going to be in southwestern Connecticut or perhaps New York City, uh, I'm having a party next Sunday, the 19th. Wow. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, email me or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, the last podcaster event i went to was kind of out of control but you know hopefully we can keep this one a little calm but seriously go. if you want to stop by say hi you know it's, it's a barbecue you know gonna gonna cook some things up on the barbecue before it gets too cold to do that beautiful weather i'd say this time of year this I, is I like to, the, this is the reason correct you no 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 what? see you said you were gonna barbecue stuff you're not gonna barbecue anything you're gonna grill stuff and i just have to correct you after living in i'm Texas sorry yes i use years. okay that's you right you use the you new watch. england King of the hill that's right the new england definition of barbecue and there's nothing wrong with that per se except that it's entirely incorrect <sighs> all right but, in my mind when you put when you take some meat and put it over a heat source that is barbecuing but i guess you have a more refined not, not even definition <laughs> not so even you're, you're are you stating that you have to do it on charcoal in order for it to be barbecuing or, or, no, no. Well, gr- well, speak grilling, to me. grilling meat does doth not make a barbecue. Uh, what what so does make a barbecue? Barbecue is is this whole deal where you've got like brisket and sausage, and uh, and there's and and there's all sorts of different types of barbecue. You've got a pork barbecue and this, that, and the other thing, but it's a slow roasted thing, uh, and uh, and and it has nothing to do with with just putting steak on a on a grill. So. But, but that's okay. I, I I don't agree with you. Well, you're... Wikipedia says otherwise. Uh, it says basically meat on top of something hot. So, well, yeah. l- let's move on. This isn't Wikipedia the barbecue. <laughs> Wikipedia is It's wrong. Holzman right before. <laughs> no, no, it's wrong. It was written by uh, somebody that lives here in New England. Okay, but I will be using propane, which some people argue is, is not real. We're not going to go here. Uh, so go. we have a search engine for Mac Geek Gab now. Uh, I meant to mention it last week. I mentioned it two weeks ago that it was coming. It is here. It was here last week. I just, it just didn't make it into the show notes. Um, So if you look either on the main Mac Geek Gab page, which is at MacGeekGab.com or MacObserver.com slash podcast, you will see uh, a little box that lets you search. That's also going to be in every version of the show notes going forward. So, and it will search everything only related to the Geek Gab. So, Type in what you're looking for. If it's in the show notes or in the show description for that week, uh, it will pull it up. It's a it's a Google site search kind of custom thing. And uh, I tested it out for me and it, it worked real well. So. So that's that. Uh, we have a couple of follow ups, John, from last week's show. And I think we'll start with Andrew here. Um, we had talked about uh, a computer. We had a listener whose computer would not shut down. Uh, and that's still the case, though, if he reboots it every day or so, it's fine. But otherwise, it's not. And Andrew wrote, uh, I've encountered this problem myself and documented it on my blog, which we'll put in the show notes here. And one solution that I came across was to actually delete the sleep image file as removing the swap files, repairing permissions, etc. didn't help. So the sleep image file is created Anytime the computer goes to sleep by default, and we're going to talk about how this works and how you can get around it, John, here, right? But the sleep image is essentially a picture of what's in RAM uh, at any given point in time. And so if you have two gigs of RAM, the sleep image file is two gigs. Now, when you shut down, I think it goes and tries to uh, either write something to this or wipe it out completely. 
And if that file's damaged, then it can't shut down as as Andrew encountered. So uh, that's that's one potential solution to this problem uh, if it's not a dying hard drive. But uh, but John, you had you had something to add here. Well, probably because I've never seen this problem, and and it goes back to the one of the first times I, I was trying to help a coworker with their um, MacBook Pro. And the one thing I noticed about the machine when I tried to put it to sleep, which I typically do with all my computers, I don't do anything like hibernate, which especially for Windows people, and I guess for Mac people, is kind of what it does. But I think a lot of OSs by default will write everything out, you know, as you said, take stuff from RAM and other important data, write it all out to the hard drive and then go to So The thing is, sometimes that can take a while and the machine may become unresponsive. And that, that was my first exposure to this whole mechanism where I, I closed the lid and the machine just sat there. And normally on mine, because I'm using something we'll talk about in a moment, it just starts the, the pulsing light right away. But um, there's something called smart sleep that I think both you and I use, Dave, which I can't even think of, of working without it, which I, basically yes. intelligently will write this file out if it deems it necessary, which I think is if you're on very low reserve battery power. Is, is, uh, I think that we're, uh, there are a number of options, but I guess it doesn't always... The default behavior, I think, is to always write this file out. Correct. And when the machine is recovering from that, I think, and, and I've seen this a couple of times when my machine was low enough on power, is that you'll see like a little progress bar where it's sucking this file back in to restore the state of the machine. Um, but of course, you know, that's very slow. So I, I think smart sleep should be something which they, they should just include in the OS because, uh, you know, I think it's excessive to always blast it out to a file every time you put the machine to sleep. As yeah, so with Windows, I, I don't hibernate on Windows machines, the ones that I use. I, I don't like it. It takes too long. It's a pain in the neck. So, yeah, here's the thing with, with the, the hibernate file, the sleep image file, as they call it. Uh, what it. What it does is, you're right, every time you put your Mac to sleep, unless you're using smart sleep, it writes it out. If it has enough battery power to save the RAM image, uh, when you wake it up, it'll just wake up to what, whatever's in RAM. But as John pointed out, if your battery runs out while it's asleep, then it'll wake up from the, the sleep image. And so Apple's default kind of safe practice is to write out that sleep image file all the time and then use it if necessary on on wake up. But, yeah, it's, smart sleep totally fixes that. Uh, I, I Like you said, John, I couldn't possibly live without it. Okay, you dropped out for a bit, but I hope the uh, you may hear an audio hiccup. But I didn't hear some of what you said, but I get the gist of it. So, okay. um, good. That's a, a now, nice and I guess yeah. Right. This lists how to deal with that specific file. The uh, the tip that we're we're going to yep. share with you. Yep. Uh, okay. The one of the other interesting things we had last week was a listener who had an issue with their broadband connection getting much slower when they moved from upstairs to downstairs, and they were in the UK. And Kevin wrote in, he said, your listener who had moved his router to a different place in his house may be falling foul of a problem particular to the wiring of telephone extensions in UK homes. It is only necessary to have the wires attached to port points two and five in any phone port. There are two extra connections available. One is the ring wire, which is not needed for modern phones anymore. And I'm not sure about the other. Internal extensions in many UK homes still had these attached, and unfortunately, they pick up radio waves, which degrades the broadband signal when any phone point or other than the master socket is used. This can be checked by going back to the master socket and unscrewing the faceplate. You can then use the internal socket that is inside and doesn't have the extra wires. If the speed is much higher, then this is the source of the problem. If your listener must use the secondary socket, then he should disconnect the ringer wire in all sockets. Sounds very pretty horrendous, but is actually very easy and takes only a few minutes per socket. This has increased my connection from five megabits to nine megabits, and he's given us a website. So, yeah, this is interesting. And I think we used to have the ring wire used to be the black wire uh, in U.S. phones, too. But of course, now most phone wires are, are run on twisted pair. And and I, it, John, I know you 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 understand this far better than I, but well, I think, well, I think the, it's all it, I'll say is the ring wire. I've touched it once with older phones yeah, because with, it, yeah. what it used to take was quite a bit of current to get the relay that rang the bell to go. And I think it was a 48 volt or 70 something volt. But anyways, I touched that once and it hurts <laughs> on the older wiring because it was enough juice to, to get a relay to, to do its thing. So, right. um, but, but yeah, I don't think they need to. I mean, I don't think anybody has a phone with an actual mechanical bell in it anymore. Remember those things, though? They were like weapons, man. You'd, and you'd have the, oh, the same princess phone. phone? You'd oh, have the princess the, phone? Yeah, you'd have that same phone for like 30 years. 
and it, you know, that thing just was rock solid. Now we change phones every, every week. So I wonder if you can even pulse with most phones these days. I don't think a lot of exchanges will deal with it anymore. No, you have to pay extra for that. I think. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, um, uh, but yeah, so one thing to mention here is that any wire is a potential antenna, and this is the source of the problem. Now, normally, the wire for optimal performance, like doing radio work, and I know some of our listeners do radio work, optimally, you want to tune the length of the antenna to the uh, frequency of the transmission, and it can be you know, a half wave or a quarter wave or five eighths, whatever. We won't go into antenna design. That's a whole different uh, mystical art there. But the thing is, any piece of wire has the potential to be an antenna, even if it's not tuned, if there's enough energy nearby. And, you know, this is the other thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, wires that are next to each other can tend to pick up what's in one wire, which I guess is what he was saying. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, so I guess the bottom line is if you're not using wires, clip them so they're not, uh, they don't have the potential for um, doing this. Now, now some systems, I don't know, there's a little tangent that you and I thought, I thought we could discuss a little bit, but a lot of times I think you, you may notice a system that's not properly grounded or wired because you'll hear the 60 cycle hum. And if you've heard it, you know what it is. And and I know especially doing audio work, Dave, it, it's that, that hum that you just hate to hear somewhere in your audio system. You know, something's not quite wired up right. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very annoying. And if you don't have things grounded just right, you, uh, it, it, it will plague you forever. Fluorescent lights can actually uh, do this as can dimmer switches can, can really kind of mm. cause issues with that. Yeah. But, but that, I, I don't think that's going to affect the, the DSL modem here. What, one thing to point out is in, in the article that, that uh, Kevin sent along, what he points out is that most wires uh, in, in homes these days are twisted pair. And the, the twist is what keeps the, uh, the, the, the wires from, from receiving any interference. But both wires in the pair need to be active. And so when you've got a phone, you know, the, the, the blue and blue white pair, if you're using twisted pair, or red and green are both active. The ring wire, I think, goes on the orange pair, but it's only on one of the wires in the pair and the other one is not active. And so that's what's causing this to, to, to really become an antenna. And then, of course, you know, spills over into the other pair and causes all the problems that we've seen. So, yeah. Yeah. And Pete. Made a comment here, which I'd agree with. Um, just the fact that a, any other wire is nearby has the potential to cause problems. But there's only so much you can do about that. I mean, if you have a cable with four wires in it, you've got a cable with four wires, unless you want to get a two-wire cable. Which I Yeah, uh, if it's twisted, can, Unless though, it's twisted, as you said, because the twisting mechanism, I think, yeah, pretty much eliminates the problem. But Yeah, uh, and you have to be on careful. On hand, building, like building connectors for Ethernet, if you're, if you're taking a, a raw cable and, and cutting a... Uh, either a jack into it or a, a a plug, you need to be very careful not to untwist too much more than you need inside the plug because you'll actually see your network performance degrade, which is interesting. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So if yeah. so, if you can get a version of the cable that doesn't run the wires for what you don't need, then go with that. On the other hand, you may want to plan. Well, I mean, this was long ago, Dave, where it's like, gee, do I need a one line or a two line phone? Let me wire my house with, you know, right. Uh, more wire than I need because uh, just in case I need it someday. So um, and, and for the record, and I know you're totally not supposed to do this, but when I wired my house in Connecticut, when we built out the office there, I only ran one set of, of cat five in the walls, which was foolish. Uh, so I actually had Ethernet on two pairs and phone on the other two pairs. And uh, and so I had two phone lines and 100 megabit at the time. I didn't try uh, gigabit, but 100 megabit worked totally fine. Even when I was on the phone, they are not supposed to work together. They're supposed to interfere. But apparently the twists uh, did their job and kept it kept it right. And I know I'm going to have all sorts of people yell at me for doing the wrong thing. But hey, it worked. Well, I got one. Yeah. And and then I think I've seen this typically with electrical equipment, but I think sometimes putting a choke Somewhere may reduce interference. I don't. I don't know too much about it. I've just seen it done, and it yeah seems to work. So, uh, for example, in in uh, Lisa's car, my my wife's car, she's got her iPhone right, which is also an iPod, um, and and actually she has an iPod as well. And when she plugs it in to in the, the the car has an audio in jack, so it's got a mini eighth jack, 
and you plug Mini 8 into the headphone jack on the iPod or iPhone, you plug Mini 8 into the car, and boom, you've got a direct signal in. You're not doing any radio or anything, and it sounds great. However, she has a cigarette lighter-style dock charger that she plugs into the bottom of the iPod or iPhone, and as soon as she plugs that in, she gets a massive hum. Went to Radio Shack and bought a choke. They have them there. They don't know that they have them there, but they have them there. You got to go into the section where there's all the little components and they have all the drawers of all the components. And uh, and I think every Radio Shack's drawers are organized the same way. So look in like the bottom left. There's two two <laughs> columns of drawers. Look in the bottom left, about three from the bottom. And you'll see they have I think they call them chokes. Um but they they're they're essentially ferrite cores that you snap onto the cable and you sort of loop the cable around the core and snap it on. And it all but eliminates that interference. So it's very, very handy. I know this is a massive tangent that we're on, but but it's actually quite helpful. So it's it's what we do. It's what we do. I told you this show was sometimes. Weird. Yeah. What's not weird is our first sponsor. They are bare bones and. BB edit nine came out recently. Now, BB edit nine has a couple of cool things in it, John. Uh the first, and, and I use BB Edit quite a bit, the first is completion. As you're typing words, either programming code or simply English words, it offers to complete them for you. And you just, as you're typing, the word comes up, you hit tab, and boom, you're on to the next word. It, it's actually a lot more handy than I thought it would be. A um, couple other things. When you've got a results window from a search or a disk browser where you're looking at uh, all the files, now when you click on a file, it can, it'll actually open it up and you can edit it right there. You don't have to double click. And speaking of search, the uh, find and replace windows are now modeless, which means you can edit uh, and copy and paste from other open documents while the search window is active. Previously, you had to close it. And that was it's a huge makes a huge difference. So uh, that's BB edit nine from barebones.com. Uh, they've got a couple of different pricing options. If you bought it after January, if you bought any version of BB edit after January 1st, uh, you are likely eligible for a free upgrade. Uh, if you have an older version, the upgrade is 30 bucks. Uh, if you are educational, uh, if you're a student uh, or a teacher, 49 bucks. And for the rest of us, it's 125 and it's worth every one of those. In fact, you could add them all together if you, if you want. And, and I actually think it's worth all that and more, uh, BB edit nine. And I don't, I don't endorse it because they pay us and uh, sponsor the show. Uh, but, uh, I happily endorse it anyway. And it's, it's one of those beautiful little matches made in heaven because we actually get to talk about a product we use. So BB edit nine, shall we move on to Nate's question, John? Indeed. All right. Nate says, my family will be moving soon, and my mom is looking at a Mac Mini to replace her old PC. We are planning on having a study where we can put her Mini. I own a MacBook, and I was wanting to hook up Time Machine to back up the Mac Mini and my notebook. Can I plug an external hard drive into the Mini and be able to back up to it from the MacBook over our wireless network? I'm pretty sure this isn't AirDisk. Can it be done? Is there a simple switch I have to flick, or is there a geeky way to do it? We use a Belkin router, so we can't use Airport Extreme. Okay. Uh, and he goes on to say that he's confused about all the information he sees about AirDisk. So let's define AirDisk first. AirDisk is when you connect a USB hard drive to uh, an, Air, an Apple Airport Extreme base station and essentially turn it into a network-attached storage device. Now, this USB hard drive can be just a standard drive. It can be a Drobo. It can be, and we're going to talk more about the Drobo later. And But it cannot be, because I think I mentioned this in a past show, because I was trying to experiment with this. Mm -hmm. It cannot be a volume formatted in FAT16 or FAT32. That's right. That's when right. I tried that, yeah. the light actually turned on, on my time capsule, turned yellow, which means, hey, something's kind of wrong. Yep. And it came up with a message that actually was, it was like, volume attach volume damaged and it's like well no it's not damaged it's just not the format that you'd right. like so so that that's um, air disk and surprisingly enough that's not supported for um uh, for time machine hmm. uh yeah so but but now what uh what nate's talking about doing here is not air disk it's simply sharing a disk from another machine and my experience has been that as long as it's a leopard machine and the disc is actually external and you are sharing it. Uh, other leopard machines on your network 
can see it as a, a time machine option to to store their backups to. Now the machine, of course, has to be on when your backups are going, and and so mm-hmm. you've got to manage that uh, yourself. But is that is that what you found too, John? Yeah, and I actually hooked up a drive just to do it. So yeah, make sure file sharing is on, and I guess you know if you if you want to you know highlight the volume itself and just make sure all the permissions are meant for you know read write. Um, you know, for the user that you're going to log in as, which is what I did, then yeah, it just kind of shows up in the, uh, in the, uh, time machine, you know, as another drive that that's available for backup. So, um, now I, I believe, uh, so connecting to a regular leopard client machine, that's the case. It needs to be, uh, a, a shared drive connecting to a leopard server machine. I think you can actually even use the internal drive, uh, for, Time machine backups, but that that's uh, that's another story. Like I said, I've been experimenting with this Leopard server. I this past weekend, I shut down all the other machines. The Linux machine is gone. The uh, the G three is gone. Everything's running on the Leopard server. So I'm I'm getting up to speed on this whole Leopard server thing. And on to Mark we go. Hey guys, uh, this is uh, Mark. Um, quick question. I listen to your podcast, great show, as well as a few others, and um, over the last couple of months, I've heard you guys all talk about different um, programs to sort of clean up your computer, and those being, in particular, Cocktail, Onyx, and then there's the Drive Genius. And, um, you know, what's your guys' take on those programs? Um, do all three of them do something different? Or is there one that does it all? Um, I'd like to get a program just to have and maybe twice a year just kind of do like a refresh on my computer as far as defragmenting and cleaning up the cache as well as my cookies and all that. Um, love to hear your opinion. Uh, All right. Take it. Oh, boy, do I? Well, I have opinions. I'm going to start with just a random opinion and uh, no, about this. Well, first off, actually, I I got kind of nervous hearing uh, optimization, but we'll uh, get onto that later. But but I would say in general, when we're talking things like Onyx and Cocktail and Mac Pilot, and there's a few others. I'm going to make a broad, broad generalization, which I think is mostly true, is a lot of these, what they really do for you is hide you from the pain of having to go to the command line and, and type in some obscure invocation to clean out the caches and, and do all sorts of, you know, sometimes it's hidden features, sometimes it's system maintenance. But I'd say in general, they act as very nice ways to get at things that uh, otherwise, if you're a you know propeller head Unix geek and know all this stuff off the back of your top of your head, um, you can just type it in. But most people don't want to do that. So... Um, so there, there's those programs, and and then there's and, another. And which, which, which programs are those? Let's let's just be clear about that. Okay, well, I think I, I I'll mention again: Onyx, okay. Cocktail, Mac Pilot, uh, yep. and and you know programs of that ilk or genre or whatever. And, and then we have others. For example, if, if we were talking the second set, and I think that yeah, that's what you wanted to get here. Um, you know, Drive Genius and Disk Warrior I see as a separate class because they do things that you're not going to be able to do from the uh, command line. Like one thing that was mentioned, which always makes me jumpy is defrag, or I guess it's, it's a, uh, you know, optimization is another thing. I just don't like it because the, the OS does it to some extent. And I, and I just hate interfering with that. So that, that always makes me kind of nervous. But yeah. then we have, um, you know, but then, um, uh, some of them will do, and I guess Drive Genius has a directory repair, so so that's kind of unique. And then I, I guess as you pointed out, Dave, I don't do, use Disk Warrior a lot, but then I think that even does a, you know, totally wipes the directory and builds it up from scratch. Which I guess if you're in really sad shape, that may be the only way to get your your you know data back. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about this because that that's one of my you know desert island utilities is Disk Warrior. I, I, I like Drive Genius too for what it does, but like uh, Disk Utility, the the built-in Apple uh, uh, utility, and FSCK, which is the command line thing that you run in single user mode. What Drive Genius does is it walks through the directory tree, finds problems, uh, you know, B tree nodes and this, that, and the other thing, and and volume information blocks and all that stuff, and tells you, okay, yeah, I've found some problems, I'm going to fix it. 
and and essentially what it does is it writes new trees and new leaves and new nodes and and sort of you know makes things look clean and pretty but it's not clean and pretty it it just takes your your rat's nest and and connects all the dots that uh, had become unconnected but it's still a rat's nest in fact it's probably even more of a rat's nest it's just a rat's nest that's uh officially sanctioned now uh whereas disk warrior will go through find all your files and then rebuild a directory based on the way your files are now. As you create directories and delete directories and put files in place and delete files out, things can get to be kind of a, a rat's nest. Disk Warrior kind of wipes that clean and builds a whole new directory. It lets you preview it and make sure all your files are there. But, uh, but it really does clean things up. And more often than not, if I have any sort of... Uh, Directory corruption, you know, something like Drive Genius or Disk Warrior comes or, or sorry, or Disk Utility comes up and says, yeah, you've got some some corruption. I should fix this. I say no. I boot from another disk or the Disk Warrior CD. And uh, and I, I just run that because I, I found that that's the best thing to run first, uh, because you're then not trying to run it on a directory that's been half repaired or failed to repair or anything like that. So so that's my that's my unprompted endorsement of disc warrior cool okay anything else we want to say about that john nope so now you want me to read michael's question don't you yes i do okay (laughs) michael says uh i have this ongoing problem with my keyboard and mouse system preferences basically i can't open the preference when i double click the preference i simply get the spinning beach ball until i force quit The genius at the Apple store suggested I reinstall Leopard. I did that. Apple forums suggested I run disk utility. Did that. My Mac is a new MacBook Pro. Other MacBook Pro users apparently have the same problem. Any thoughts? Well, these two MacBook Pro users, in fact, these three MacBook Pro users uh, that are here don't have that problem. And neither does uh, Lisa over the house. So, yes, it is. uh, it's, It's not a common problem to MacBook Pro. In fact, I don't even think it's a MacBook Pro issue. Uh, but I've seen problems like this. Now, I, uh, I went through and, and sort of tried to figure out, okay, cause I looked, I saw, I thought, well, it's, it's probably a damaged preference file. So which preference mm-hmm. file is it? And so I opened up, uh, my home folder, you know, which on my computer is called Dave and then library and then preferences. And I looked around and there was nothing called keyboard, nothing called mouse. And I thought, how, oh, I don't know what preference. And there's file way is. too much stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's a mess. And, you know, I'm prepping the show on Monday. I'm trying to get this stuff done, but I want to have a good answer here. So I thought, well, how could I figure out what this is? And I thought, aha, I'll sort the preferences window by date and time. So the most recent stuff floats to the top. Then, yeah, then I open system preferences and immediately things start changing around. In fact, uh, com.apple.universalaccess.plist instantly starts getting updated. And then I opened the keyboard and mouse system preferences and I made a change and the file that got uh, touched was com.apple.systempreferences.plist and I opened it, I double clicked it and it opened up in property list editor, uh, which I think is part of the developer tools, if I'm not mistaken. So if you don't have developer tools installed, I'm not sure what it's going to open in uh, or if it'll open at all, but I opened it up and I saw in there, sure enough, that's where the keyboard and mouse system preferences are. So, what I would recommend for Michael here is quit out of system preferences, delete that file, com, uh, home, library, preferences, com.apple.systempreferences.plist, and then immediately reboot the machine. Come back around. It should recreate that file. If that doesn't work, uh, try creating a separate user, a test user, and go in as that and see if you can get in and out of there. That'll at least confirm that it's a problem with your user account and not a system-wide issue. So that's uh, that's my advice, and I'm sticking to it, John. Good one. Um, now, I'd say what, what you see in library preferences, that's like the registry, the, the Windows registry. This is the messy part of Mac OS X that you really don't want to see. But it's where all the nasty stuff is stored, basically in these little structured text files that tell the computer... You know how to do certain things or save settings, and yeah, every now and then they get, they get messed up. Now, did, was it mentioned? Are these wired or wireless devices? Uh, I'm guessing because it's a MacBook Pro. That oh, I'm sorry. 
It's just uh, his built-in keyboard and mouse. Now it could, it certainly could be other stuff, but but because he's not trying to open a, a third-party utility, he's trying to open keyboard and mouse mm-hmm. system preference. I'm going to assume it's just the built-in uh, trackpad and and the yeah. Light. If it's the, the uh, I haven't done a lot of work with the wireless things, but you know you may want to reset them. They may have a bad pairing or something like that. If they're the you know the newer Bluetooth type of devices, I guess is the only other thing I could think of. Uh, yeah, that's a weird one. I, I would actually, if you have any third party stuff or even Apple stuff connected, I would disconnect it and just go with the raw MacBook Pro and see if you can get in and out of system preferences and then start adding things from there. But uh, yeah, just have the mouse and the keyboard hooked up. Nothing else. That That's another good troubleshooting tip, I guess. Or try a different port. I don't know. You probably have a couple of different ports you can plug it into. Yeah, that's in true. It's a hardware problem. Who knows? You could have a bad USB port. It's possible. It's possible. That's right. That's right. Uh, our second sponsor for this show, John, is a new sponsor to the Geek Gab, and it is Devon awesome. Technologies. They make a couple of different apps, which we will be talking about throughout uh, the next couple of months here with them. Tonight, we're going to talk about Devon Think. Devon Think, uh, and, and I like their description so much, I'm going to use it. It is a single database for all your digital files, uh, shopping receipts, research papers, emails, PDFs, uh, Devon Technologies builds it with artificial intelligence unique to the Mac to help you with the filing and organizing and and searching of your data. They call it a document repository or a filing cabinet. You can archive your email in here, too. Uh, It very kind of flexible document organizer, if you will. They are coming out with a new version. It's due by the end of the year. Uh, Adds some very cool features. One of which is sort of a cover flow way of, of moving through uh, all the documents that you've got stored in here. And uh, Devon Think from Devon Technologies. Again, it's your single database for all your digital files. Of course, you can download a free trial. And then the personal edition starts at thirty nine ninety five US and you can go up. Uh, they've got a professional edition. And then a professional office, the professional edition adds some things like email archiving uh, and the professional office actually adds a web server and stuff. So you can you can get at the data a couple of different ways. But this is Devin Think from DevonTechnologies.com. That's Devon-Technologies.com. And we will put that in the show notes. And uh, that's Devin Think. Let's uh, should we do Jamie? Do we have time here to do Jamie, John? Uh, let's move on to the Drobo stuff. We'll do. We'll, we'll save Jamie for next week. I don't want to. I don't want to skim through anything. Uh, so last week we talked about the Drobo, uh, which is an external RAID hard drive array, uh, and we weren't sure if there was a way to connect this uh, to a network and make it just a network storage device. And Tim, uh, among many many others, uh, called in. Hey, guys, love the show. Tim Winters here in Leveland, uh, listening to your October 6th show, a couple days late here. Uh, talking about, you were talking about the Drobo here. i got one word for you here, Drobo Share. Look it up. That's the one. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Sure enough, Drobo makes a device, but I think it's $199, uh, and it provides gigabit Ethernet support for up to two Drobos, so you can actually have uh, two of these things on your network. Um, Allows and and one of the interesting things is it's not just a uh, sort of a network bridge, if you will. It also allows apps to be run. Now, out of the box, the Drobo apps that that exist, I think there's a BitTorrent app, and there's an Xbox and PS3 uh, music streaming app. They're hoping that someone they've they've kind of opened the API up, John, and they're hoping that someone will build more apps, uh, maybe an iTunes streaming app, which would be really really cool. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting what they're what they're doing. I'm not I, not well versed in the platform. I don't know exactly how they're doing this stuff, but it sure is a cool idea to turn this hard drive into something a little bit a little bit more full featured. So nice, yeah. All right, uh, we've got some cool stuff found. Anything else we need to say on the on the Drobo here? No, no. Okay. I gotta, I gotta get one. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we need, we need a couple of those around here. It, it sounds like uh, this is we're missing the boat on this stuff, John. Uh, so we've got some cool stuff found, uh, John. You, you, you stumbled onto something. Yeah. Oh, I'm just so happy I found this. So, so I, I love these little surprises that you always get when you, you know, when you run a Mac app and and you find 
just something that just made well this made me happy so um as a lot of you know i got a new camera and i got the uh, the iFi card that does the geocoding which means that it injects location data into the photograph as does as do some other devices right dave like the iphone like the iphone it does yep um and so there's this one site it, it's geared towards twitter users so i promise we wouldn't talk about that but anyway oh, no it's okay um we just don't want to make the show about it that's all no no <laughs> like some other people i don't know there, there has to be twitter podcast but anyways so oh, there's yeah. something called twit pick which as the name implies is a twitter inter- you can interface to it from twitter but you can just use a web client basically you upload pictures to it it has an rss feed it's actually very cool because i i spent a couple of hours just sitting watching all the new photos it's photos from everywhere in the world about anything most of them seem to be people taking pictures of food they're about to eat oddly but also events and uh, you know they're good pictures and, and not so good but uh, so i decided to, to copy down a picture that i uploaded which was of the fall landscape and i'm like you know what i wonder if if the data is retained when I upload it to this TwitPix site. So I went to not the thumbnail, but a larger version of the picture and I saved it. And by default, Preview was the app that was meant to open it. And I'm like, well, okay, okay. let me sure. open up Preview, which, you know, handles PDFs and graphics and a whole bunch of things. Actually, I'm getting more respect for Preview. Preview does, uh, as we pointed out, I think in the past, you can actually use it to do limited markup. But um, anyway, so I loaded the picture in Preview, went to, hold on, let's get it here. So there is a tools menu and then an inspector and when you see the inspector there will be a tab in the middle that looks uh, like a little you know info balloon with an exclamation point you click in it and oh man this was so cool there's a tab in there well there are two that are related to the uh, location so one is gps and it actually says okay gps latitude longitude it shows a world map with a cross here on the location and then there's a locate button if you click on the locate button, it brings up the location in Google Maps. This is, this is the thing I love about, and I, you know, I I'm don't, like, oh, because I'm like, go ahead, go what ahead. is that going to do? Well, anyways, I'll get it out of my system, but I'm like, yeah. that is just too cool. Now, I won't mention that the, the coordinates weren't exactly right, but just the fact that that was buried in preview, I just thought was very cool. Yeah, and this is the thing I love about the way Apple does things and and i don't gush over apple all the time because the you know there's things i don't love but by and large i do and this is the reason for it they always are thinking many more steps ahead than any of us will walk into on day one and and this is a perfect example you know preview we use all the time three weeks ago four weeks ago on the show here we're talking about how you can annotate annotate things with preview wow who knew that right well somebody did and you told us about it which was awesome uh, and now this, it, you know, this 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 stuff just keeps growing and growing. It's cool. It the problem is, you know, with with preview now is the app really preview or is it more of a drawing app? You know, what is the name appropriate anymore uh, that, you know, feature bloat kind of changes that sort of thing. But but I'll take it. I like it. It's good. Yes. Now, the thing it does bring up and the other thing it brought up was a field called IPTC, which I don't remember what it stands for off the top of my head, but it's a emerging standard for embedding information in a picture so that it can be retrieved later. And, and this happens to embed the city, the country and the, the state um, rather than the coordinates. Oh, OK. Um, Interesting. It's really neat. Now, a little warning. So I'm like, gee, you know, if my picture went up there and I had the data embedded in it because I have the iFi. I wonder if other people's pictures had coordinates. And you know what? They do. And I think you confirmed this, Dave. But yep. um, apparently when you take a picture with the iPhone and, uh, iPhone and upload it to TwitPic, at least with the latest phone and maybe with the prior ones that didn't have GPS, yeah, that data is embedded in the picture. So a little privacy note to some people. You may want to think about what device. And as far as I know, you don't have control. You do. On the iPhone, you do. You can, oh, you can choose not to do GPS tracking. Yes. Or or choose not to embed it. Correct. Okay. And of course, in my case, I can choose not to use the iFi card. Uh, right. And, and I would think most, uh, yeah, and I can, you know, turn it off and or just suck the pictures out there. If you use, you have to use their utility to extract the location data. So you can just suck the pictures directly out of the card and you won't have location data. So I guess just a, a caution to people. Because I, I, I can imagine there's situations where you may not want the location known. Of course. Sure. Yeah. For various reasons. That's right. On the other Especially hand, it's an awesome with GPS feature. where it's, you know, you could Pretty actually close. get really, yeah, within feet. 
Yes. Now, in this case, it was it was off a bit because it's not using GPS. It's actually using Wi-Fi and cell towers. So it was close. Right. Right. Um, but not exact. Um, cool. But it's an up and coming feature because actually it's some of the events that I've been to. And actually, there's another one coming up. I have to tell you about, Dave. It's like some photo expo in New York City, which looks really neat. It looks just to be for photographers. But to me, it seems to be an up and coming thing in the photo circles is to embed the location information in the picture and then do something useful afterwards like the people that run some of the online services i think they're slowly getting to the point where hey you know i should look in the picture and see if this is here and maybe do something smart with it like uh, for example my pc very quickly and then we'll move on but i ran picasa which you yep. know is a google product and and the picture the, the same picture it had like a little crosshair in the corner i'm like oh that's interesting clicked on that and it brought up the same thing in google maps so um I just think it's really neat. The, the, it adds a whole new dimension to photographs and also a whole new dimension of, of being sneaky and stalking people and finding out where they are and stuff. But we won't talk about that aspect. Well, yeah. And, and a, <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about this, but I'm going to assume that it's a standard way of embedding this stuff. So certainly you could aggregate that information and pull pictures together and say, OK, what are the pictures that were taken near sure. me and do that? You know, that whole uh, that whole social experience. Yeah, they seem to have settled on latitude and longitude. Like I mentioned, the other <laughs> field, work. which is. Which is city, you know, city state, um, right? Cool. Okay, but um, yeah, preview uh, continues to uh, surprise me. It, that's awesome. So you know, John, I told you I set up this leopard server here, and uh, I, you know, I'm having fun with it. I had a blue and white G3 that was here really only to run uh, the FileMaker server because you can't run FileMaker on a Linux machine anymore. You used to be able to run FileMaker server on Linux. Now it's only Mac or Windows. So I had the blue and white G3 that was upgraded to a G4 doing that. And then I had a Linux server doing everything else. DNS, DHCP, um, running a, a monitoring app called Nagios or Nagios, which uh, monitors our servers. And I, it's it's really kind of a backup thing. We've got people that, we've, you know, we've got a team of folks that we pay to monitor them. I like to know that we're monitoring things too. Uh, so we have that. And then we run MRTG, which is a, a way of monitoring traffic and bandwidth that we've talked about on the show before. So that was all on a Linux box that was running Debian. Then I figured, okay, if I'm going to set up this Leopard server, we're going to migrate everything over to it. And so DNS and DHCP and all that stuff, man, it's so easy. Oh, and mail, we have a kind of a sort of a mail server set up here. Uh, and all that stuff is so easy to set up because there's the beautiful GUI that Apple has created to do all this stuff. But those capabilities, and, and it's all using normal standard Linux or standard Unix stuff. So, you know, bind and, and regular DHCPD. Uh, and for mail, it uses Postfix, which is a very standard uh mailer engine uh but apple has built these guis and you know the guis aren't perfect for postfix in fact i had to go in and edit some command files but uh but that was only because i was doing something funky but for by and large it's awesome however there's all these other apps specifically this this nagios app that i wanted to run uh and you know apple doesn't provide a gui interface and really doesn't even provide a way in their build to install this stuff, every other or most other Unix distributions have a way of installing what they typically call packages. So you say, look, I want to go get this app. So in, I could go to the website, download the sources, build the sources, compile them, you know, configure them, compile them, install them and put them out there. And that that works fine. I did that with MRTG and it, you know, it installed fine. But I thought, gosh, there's a whole lot of stuff I need for this Nagios app. I need all these dependencies. And so I'm going to have to build six or eight other things too. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was a port and John Welch from uh, binky.com B Y N K I I uh, had talked about Mac ports a couple of different times. And I thought, oh, let me go check this out. And sure enough, you install this Mac ports thing and it essentially adds this whole repository of uh, pre-configured applications or services that you can install on leopard. Uh, and I imagine I did it on Leopard server, but there's no reason you couldn't use Mac ports on just a regular Leopard install. So uh, and it's great once you install Mac ports, which installs like a normal Mac app, you do it in the GUI, in the finder, you know, that whole deal. Then you go to the command line and you type port space install. And for me, I typed space Nagios and it went and it probably took an hour and a half to download the 15 other dependencies and it downloads them, builds them. Uh, it configures them, compiles them, installs them, and does this whole thing. 
it was awesome. Uh, and it really kind of makes it, it completes the whole Unix distribution uh, and uh, portion of of Leopard. You know, we know we have Unix there, but there, there, it's that missing link to making it like a normal Unix distribution. So very, very cool. It works very well. One thing that I had to figure out on my own, John, I I, I installed Mac ports and I told it, go ahead and, and get this. And it did. It downloaded the first thing and it went to install and it aired out. And I thought, oh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then I realized I hadn't installed developer tools. So there was no compiler uh, installed on the system. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. important. It is important. Yeah. And I felt like a uh, dumb dumb when I realized. I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have GCC. So that's not going to do anything. Yeah. So, I, so you I, saw it try to run GCC and fail. Yeah. I said, yeah, I, I tried it a couple of times and then realized what was going on. And I thought, oh, yeah, dumb dumb. Well, no, you got to keep trying. If you keep right. trying, eventually it'll work. Yeah. That's the, the yeah, exactly. You have to further the, uh, the, the insanity defense, right? You got to have something to, uh, yeah. to fall back on there. Now, so, I think Fink is another. Yep. Thing uh, I don't know if you mentioned it. I, I wasn't paying mm. attention. No, but Fink is another, and I guess they're all known as package managers. And I guess a, a common yeah. format is RPM, which I think came from Red Hat. I think they actually put a lot of effort into coming up with a standard yep. on how to package up software and help you distribute it and compile it. Um, so I've used Fink in the past, and and that's a I think another similar utility. I forgot that about that. Track. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and there is. Yeah, you don't you don't want to piecemeal, you know, compile these things and build them and stuff like that, which I have to do on occasion. You'd rather just keep it all together because a lot of these will keep track of the versions and and just all sorts of things that you shouldn't be bothered with. Yeah, and that that's the thing, right? It knows that okay, well, this package requires you know version four point three or later Mm. of that package, and then yeah, like you said, John. Now I've got you know just because I wanted to install Nagios, I had to you know update. I had to install fifteen packages or something. Now, if there's an update to any of yeah. those, Mac ports will manage that update for me, which is and, which is the best part about it. Yeah. And this is, yeah, like I was doing some work with SUSE Linux the other day, and yeah. I wanted to add a driver. And it's like, oh, well, by the way, I got to pull in these 10 different dependent packages. I'm like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But, you know, and, and that's the one thing that I find, because this is what I do a lot, uh, you know, software development, is just getting the source files a lot of times is not enough. I hate projects where you get the project from someone and it's in a zip file or something and you unpack it, you try to load it in the compiler and all of a sudden you get all these dependency errors because they didn't include everything that was needed in the package, which is basically the problem that these things solve. So you got to hunt around, oh, I need this package, I got to compile this library, I need this header file. And that's the worst part of of the thing that I have to do during the day is, is taking other people's work and then trying to reproduce the environment. Absolutely. And and just to uh, to be clear, there is an RPM. They call it RPM for Darwin, but it's really RPM for Mac OS 10. So that that exists out at SourceForge, too. So you can use all the RPM stuff. So I, I would recommend and I, you know, honestly, I didn't even think about going any further. I didn't think about think I didn't think about RPM. I just I, Mac ports. OK, yep, that works. I know John Welch is is well versed in this stuff. I'll take his word for it. He's a good friend. We'll just go with that. But I would recommend using one package manager for what uh, you're doing yeah. with your OS. Now, Mac ports is interesting. It installs everything in slash opt slash local, which nothing else uses, uh, at least not typically. So it's not it, you could use another package manager and, and probably live just fine if it's not installing things in opt local. But I would say stick with one and, and uh, don't drive yourself huh. to drink. So. Yeah, I don't even uh, have that one. Yeah. yeah Actually, the go. one that I recall that I think Fink uses is slash SW slash share, I think. Yeah, let's see. No, there's some other garbage there. Right. Anyways, yeah. um, package managers are, good. are the bomb. They're the bomb. <laughs> well, we can't say that. Sorry. Sure you can. Uh, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, well, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, you know, the NSA monitoring software doesn't know that. So That's right. Yeah, well, they're already knocking on the door. Pete, Pete's down there fending them off. <laughs> uh, what's, what's that, Pete? You got a report from downstairs? Uh, it wasn't us. That's our story, and we're stuck That's with it. That's right. We're stuck with it. That's there you go. Uh, okay, so oh. so we talked about writing. We've got a couple things to do. We're gonna, it doesn't sound like it, but we're going to run late tonight, John, and, and you don't even know why. Um, but we're going to talk about Charles first. So Charles, last week... It was last oh, yeah. week. We were talking about CDs and how somebody, a couple of people actually wrote in and said, 
You can't write on a CD with a Sharpie because the ink might soak through to the, the mm. data layer, yada, yada, yada. Charles wrote in and said, as an avid amateur photographer, I archive older photo files on DVD. I discovered a brand of pen which has non-acidic ink, which will not eat through the label side to the data. The danger of permanent inks such as the Sharpie. The pen is called E-Film and is called the solvent-free CD DVD pen. And I need to look at the show notes here to find where it is. And it's it's made by a company called Delkin, not Belkin, Delkin with a D. Delta Echo Lima Kilo Indigo. What's the last one, Pete? I don't mind. November. Nove- it is November, isn't Ooh. it? That's what I would have said. So Good. I knew I knew Pete was up on his NATO phonetic alphabet. I would certainly hope so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Did I get the rest of them right? Roger, Roger. Uh, India. India. That's the one I always screw up. I know it. I had India and I was done. Uh, So that's it. We don't don't really care about the NATO phonetic alphabet that much, at least not for the purposes of this show. Uh, Okay. So, John, just when you thought you were free, two things happened uh, in the last week. One was that OpenOffice 3 came out. Now, OpenOffice, yeah, is a sun... Sun driven project and it essentially is a Java? clone. Is it Java? Well, Java. see, that's the interesting thing. The previous versions have very much been, uh, you had to, it, it basically installed the X11 environment and ran inside it. So they were very clunky and kludgy. Uh, and it, it, to, to be, to finish my, my train of thought there, OpenOffice is a clone of the current version of Microsoft Office for Windows. Okay, so that includes some things like access that are not part of the Mac distribution of Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Uh, but it is a clone of Office for Windows. It's not a clone of Office for Mac. So if there are features in Office for Mac that aren't in Windows, they ain't here. But it's free. Open Office, and they're clear about this. It is free for personal, educational, commercial. You can use it. it they, they, they explicitly include basically everything. You can do whatever you want with this thing. Uh now with with version three, it's Mac OS ten native, and uh, it, it's a it it really is. And and I I see that uh, Pete talked about Neo Office here in our little Skype chatter. Neo Office is kluky like like Open Office used to be. It it runs in this X eleven app. Open Office three, I downloaded it, installed it today. It has normal Mac menus. I don't know what it's written in. I don't know if it's in in Java or or what under the hood. I think it is Java. I think I saw something Java blurp up the first time I ran it. But, but yeah, Sun but, keeps trying to push that. I don't know why. Yeah, it's their thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but it, it it doesn't it it doesn't matter what what it's written in. It feels like a Mac app when you run it. You know, the open and save dialogues feel basically normal uh certainly a lot better than previous builds of open office so yeah i wanted i wanted to uh to mention that john martellero i was talking to him about it he said he was using the betas i I think of open office 3 and he said that they were not stable for him uh and and really weren't smooth so i'm going to use this a bit and and keep my fingers crossed and hope that uh that they've improved that so one other thing we have to talk about john before we go did you did you hear about what's happening tomorrow? With with five days notice, Apple uh, has has summoned the press and summoned the masses to uh, Cupertino tomorrow morning. Yeah, rumor has it it's probably going to have something to do with notebooks. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee that. That's what, of course, that's what the invitation said. I think it's uh, mm-hmm. pretty clear about that. But but yeah, this is uh, th- this is going to so be don't interesting. Don't buy one. <laughs> what do you do? Don't sit <laughs> on your hands. Today. All right. Yeah. Yeah, it says the spotlight yeah. turns to notebooks. And, and you know, there's been a lot of rumors out there about the, you know, the brick, the, the notebook that's built from one solid piece of aluminum that's cored out or whatever. But oh, yeah. Manufacturing technique. Yeah. But it, it you know, the, my guess is we're going to see a, an aluminum uh, MacBook. Uh, you can listen to Mac OS Ken Day 6 where we talked a lot about uh, all the speculation and everything. But uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts to, to add to this uh, before the festivities tomorrow? Knowing, so of course, that, words, mm. knowing, of course, that most people will hear this show probably after uh, all this news is out. But but uh, so we we get to put it on the line and and, have, and be proven wrong before they even hear us. So. Thoughts? Um, they're going to come out with a 12 inch. <laughs> 
that I've always lusted for and I yeah. want. But uh, no, I'm very happy with my MacBook Pro. No, I I don't know. I mean, except for speed bumps or, you know, they're going to put a SD slot. I've always wanted one of those. Are they going to get rid of Firewire is another they they don't mumbling. do now they don't do events like this just to speed bump though there there's something coming and, and how it could, about well there's the long fabled though I don't know if Apple uh, I don't uh, per, I'll just say it tablet yeah I I don't think it's coming. I've used tablets I've used PC tablets some yep. are okay some are good for niches I've never been thrilled by the form factor unless it's been a hybrid where you could turn off I, I mean the ones that are solely tablets I think are very very niche products. If you yeah. can, like Toshiba, I think has one that you can flip it around and you can have a keyboard back or you can make it a tablet. And for people that draw and scribble and stuff, that probably makes sense. But, um, or could it be something totally new? Those kind of, you know, that, that'd be for Macworld, right? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, they've, they've talked about not wanting to be beholden to, uh, to Macworld as the place where they have to announce things. Of course, they, they haven't, <laughs> they haven't delivered on that wish, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't even know. Yeah, I'm just not convinced that the tablet's the right thing for Apple. I mean, clearly they've been working on it many times, you know, uh, over the years. But, I, you know, like like the iPhone, they were able to let other people come to the market and 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 fail or not fail, but but realize other fail. people's errors. Yeah. And 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 then they came out with their own thing, which is in many ways, not all, but many ways better, uh, certainly for their target market. So, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not How feeling the tablet thing. The, the iPhone's your PDA or the Touch. Yeah. That's it. They're not going any yeah. further with that. Though I've, I've had some people not pleased with the lack of certain features. Of course. On those. Of course. Yeah, I don't, they're, I don't they're think they're PDA-like, gonna... but not, you know, in the sense of like a Palm or something, which I'm getting kind of tired of mine, actually. Yep. Yep. Well, the sync error, I, I keep running into these stupid duplicate errors with, with Outlook and stuff. It's really aggravating me. Can't you just look at the event and say, oh, the name's the same. Let me not make another copy of it. I guess not. Right. Right. I, 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 it baffles me why this, uh, what, it, what to me seems a, a very basic programming task, but befuddles the people that write the conduit. So I, I, I think that's actually um, a, an issue with the Palm devices. I've, I've seen that. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. It could be. Uh, how about a super monster Mac? I mean, you got the seventeen-inch. Why not? Oh yeah, could I get like a fifty-two-inch notebook so I could actually have like a television with me? <laughs> or how about one where you could like like put together multiple notebooks? Like you got two fifteen-inchers. Oh yeah, stitch could, Like you know, kind of kind of like those that that little toy that you you kind of got me hooked on for a while there. The little uh little cube guys, Cube World, is it? Yeah, there's a new one. I'm gonna have to tell you about that, that same oh, company man. made. My son got one today. But is it Cube World, the, the other one? What, what or something. Them? And that's all I'm going to say about it. It's not good. Okay. It's not good. It's bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what, though? I mean, other than the NSA wanting to get in touch with us, you may want to get in touch with us, right? Yeah, I totally blew that. I even had it in the uh, yeah, agenda. Yeah, you blew it, man. Yep. I sure did. Blew right past it. 206. So I guess the first? Oh, yeah. I was just going to go. 206-666-GEEKS, which is... 4335. Of That's course, right. you can uh, uh, email us at uh, feedback, feedback at com. You can see the show notes, which are excellently prepared and uh, largely timely at com <laughs> or macobserver.com slash podcast. That's you, John. That's right. And they can Skype to if they can find it. I don't know what's going on with Skype, but they can yeah, Skype to. with the directory. Yeah. MacGeekGab. MacGeekGab? Yeah. That's right. Macworld Expo is January 5 through 9, and our hotel rooms are sold out already. Uh, yep. It's something else. Uh, what, you sold my room? I sold your room. Yeah. You said you kept talking about that cardboard box thing. I thought you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone Alley is Michael Johnston's home away from home, or home. Home. Uh, and he converts this show into AAC for all of you to enjoy. Cashfly provides the bandwidth to get it to you. The podcast marketplace full of all the wonderful people that sponsor this show and help us make it possible. The A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. BB Edit 9 from Barebones Software. Smile on my Mac with Text Expander and PDF Pen. Notebook from Circus Ponies and Devin Think and Devin Agent, which we'll talk about more from Devin Technologies. 
all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, keeping things flowing here, and we love that. Uh, iTunes comments we always enjoy. I haven't checked them recently. Have you, John? Mm. i got to check them. Uh, I guess that's that. Yeah, I don't know if we're beating Adam. Yes, oh, all right, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm having a party. Did I mention that? You did. Yeah. Seriously, if you guys... And did we settle this? I'm going to have a... You're going to grill. You're going to grill. I'm going to grill. There you go. You can go to John's party, but uh, don't get caught. Made up.